Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM Channel 233. I'm your host, Dr. Joel Heller. As doctors, one of our hardest jobs is delivering bad news to our patients. In the span of an oncologist's career, that can become an especially daunting task. Today, we welcome Dr. Tony Bach, an oncologist at the University of Washington and the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle. Dr. Bach has created a course that helps doctors find a more comfortable way to deliver bad news to patients. Welcome. Nice to be here. Let's begin by talking about what kind of communication training has existed out there for doctors. Yeah, well, it turns out very little. You know, most doctors have had a little bit of training in medical school about, you know, how to take a history and physical, but very few doctors who take care of patients with life-limiting illnesses have ever had any formal training. If you look at oncologists, the figure is about 5%, and it's the same for other specialties. So not much exists. There was a thing from the Institute of Medicine looking at, a survey looking at how doctors learned, and actually the most common way that doctors learned communication was traumatic experiences with patients. That was more influential than role models, courses, lectures, workshops, anything. So that shows you where we are. How did the idea for your course then develop? So when I was a resident, I used to walk around with these like senior doctors and think, God, there's got to be a better way to do this. I remember a really rounding with a really famous oncologist who after talking to someone, walked out of the room and said, well, she was kind of an old trout. And I just thought, this is just unbelievable. So I got into this in part because I felt like there, there had to be a better way to do this. You know, the course was adapted from some earlier research that was done in general internal medicine settings showing that you could start to change doctor behavior. And a woman named Leslie Fallowfield in Britain did a large randomized trial of a communication intervention for senior oncologists and showed that the oncologists could not only be more attentive to patients, but that the changes in the way they talked to them persisted for 12 months after just a three-day workshop. So we built on that to try and capture oncology fellows right at the end of their training because we wanted to have them integrate all their, you know, biomedical content knowledge with this other issue about how to communicate the knowledge. So you not only have to know what the survival statistics are for colon cancer, for instance, but you have to know how to be able to talk about that with a patient. Can you describe what happens in your course, kind of a typical day in the life of? Sure. So in our course, there's very little lecturing and there's a lot of practicing. So in fact, most of the time in the course is spent in a small group with a faculty facilitator and four other participants. And the small group sees a series of highly trained actors who come in portraying patients at different stages of illness. For instance, you know, Monday, a 47-year-old woman will come in with a history of breast cancer who's here for a follow-up visit and has an indeterminate lab result. The next day, she'll come in after she had a CT scan that shows that the cancer is back. The next day, it'll be three years later, and she's had a bunch of palliative chemotherapy that doesn't work. So the course builds on successive experiences of the patients and actors, and you see the trajectory of an entire illness experience in just a few days. 
Is there stop and go while the doctor's talking to the actor or actress? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that is one of the huge advantages of this kind of setup in working with actors is that you can stop in the middle of it and say, you know what, I want to try that a different way. Or you can stop in the middle of it as the learner and say, gee, I don't know what to say next. And it turns out those are moments of incredible learning for the participants. So the feedback can be instant for the people going through the course. Exactly. And then the, and the fact is what we've learned is the formative learning experience is getting stuck and then trying it a different way and having some success with that. And that's a very powerful learning experience for doctors. So for the course itself, in total, how many days does it last for for the physician? So it lasts for four and a half days. So it's, you know, by CME standards, it's long because what we're trying to provide is a deep kind of psychomotor skill, not something you could get in just a noon conference. So how many people have you put through the course, and what do you think your effect has been, and and how have you been able to measure that effect? We have put about 200 oncologists from all over the country through our course over the past five years. We have measured the outcome of the course using a series of pre-retreat tests and post-retreat tests, so that at the very beginning of the conference, the first thing you do is, in fact, you've go see a a simulated patient, a standardized patient, and you have to give the bad news before you've gotten any training. And then you do it again after you've had the training. And so, in fact, these are separate actors that are used for the evaluation. And we have a publication coming out in the Archives of Internal Medicine, I think that's scheduled next month sometime, that shows that they're very impressive acquisitions of new kinds of communication skills. I'll give you one example. Like when you're giving bad news, does the doctor actually use the word cancer. And it turns out only about 20% of our doctors before the course used the word cancer when they actually gave the bad news. And after the course, it was more like 60%, and the p-value was, you know, 0.0001. It's so interesting, and this is all oncologists. This is all oncologists, and the reason for that is, is because we wanted the cases and the actors to seem just like the stuff they see in clinic. And so the context, we wanted to get that very specific. I mean, however, you know, and probably lots of your listeners know, that these are issues that have broad applicability in medicine. And, you know, every doctor who deals with life-limiting illness is talking about bad news at this level. And the skills are totally transferable. And the issue is just what's the best learning situation for these different specialties. Is the way you have the course set up now, is it considered CME? It's not because we have focused the course on physicians who are not yet done with their training, so they don't need CME yet. We have run a couple of small courses adapted from our longer course, two-day courses, that we have run at the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting, and they're currently thinking about how to fold this into their portfolio of other educational offerings. It's a little bit of a stretch for them because it's much more faculty-intensive and much smaller than the other kinds of educational courses they do. And yet, you know, the data shows that all those big lectures – really don't change people's practice. Is there any measurement that you guys have done so far on the effect of the changes as far as patients go? Good question. You know, that's really where the research is right now. And so actually we are starting a big randomized trial here to look at the effect of this kind of training on internal medicine residents. And with that large randomized trial, we will be measuring patient-level outcomes and uh, surveying both patients and family members. And so that one is just getting started now. If you're just joining us, this is the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM Channel 233. I'm your host, Dr. Joel Heller. 
We're speaking with Dr. Tony Bach, oncologist at the University of Washington and the Fred Hutchinson Research Center in Seattle. What kind of feedback have you gotten from the physicians that have taken the course? Is their feeling that they are more comfortable being able to deliver these type of bad news to the patient? Is it they feel that they're better communicating to the patient the bad news? Do they feel the patient is getting more out of it? Or hopefully a combination of all three, I would Yeah, I think it's a combination of all three. I mean, what, you know, the fellows tell me is more confidence, less angst, better relationships with patients. And so uh, one of the things that we stress to them is that this skill is not just a luxury. I mean, it's really a survival skill in the context of a practice like oncology where you deal with, you know, so much death and suffering. And there are studies that show that doctors who have less training in communication skills are more prone to burnout. So I I think that there's an important issue about self-care and resiliency here for for all physicians, in fact. I think for my own practice and talking to other physicians that uh, a lot of us experience when there is bad news to give to a patient, it's hard for them to hear much else we're saying besides that bad news at an initial consultation. And I know I've taught for my residents and, and people that I've worked with that you have to go back and talk again. Is that part of what you're doing within the course as well? Absolutely. And in fact, one of the major points of our teaching, one of the real fundamentals, is that in a conversation like bad news, you could consider that there are two kinds of data coming from the patient. There's cognitive data about what the patient understands, and there's the emotional data about how they're reacting. And, you know, now we know from neuroscience that when the emotions are really active, it kind of blocks all the cognitive stuff going in or out. And so, in fact, if the patient's having a lot of emotion, I mean, we should expect that they're not going to absorb a lot. And in fact, we shouldn't waste our time giving a long explanation if they're that upset and aren't going to absorb it. So one of the issues is adjusting the level and extent of your biomedical explanation to the emotional level of the patient and to acknowledge and address those emotions with the patient, which I think can be done in a very brief, important way that really facilitates the next step. If someone were interested in taking this course, how could they find out more about it? They could look at www.oncotalk, O-N-C-O-T-A-L-K dot info, I-N-F-O, that's our website. I will say that we're moving into a new course now that's actually designed for faculty members so that they can learn all the stuff that we've developed about how to teach communication and take it home. So actually, we're moving into that new kind of course, and I think there may be more offerings in the future from the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Let's go back for a minute to talk about the next step that you're doing in terms of research, in terms of looking at patients. How many patients are you going to sign up for? Is it going to be just a written type of responses? How are you going to judge your outcome? So it turns out that with this internal medicine resident project, what we are going to be doing is we are going to be asking families and patients of residents to rate their communication before the course and after the course. So in fact, when a resident enrolls in the study, we're going to be surveying their patients with life-limiting diagnoses for two to three months prior to them taking the course. And then they will take a course that is going to be delivered over eight half-day sessions rather than four full days. And then we will be surveying their families and patients for about two to three months after that. The number of responses that we need to get to get a valid sample pre and post is somewhere between 10 and 15. 
So we'll need 10 to 15 family ratings on a large group of residents. So that's like, you know, hundreds of people to, to get a statistically valid sense of, of what's changing. Are you going to be doing this just through your center, or will there be a multi-center approach? Yeah, actually, it's at two centers. It's at the University of Washington and the Medical University of South Carolina. Anything else you think would be important for us to know about what you're doing here, Tony? I don't think so. I appreciate the call. I do think that this is one of those things where a lot of doctors think, well, you know what, I kind of know how to do that. I don't really, I don't really need that. And, if you, and yet, if you look at what actually happens in the, in the consultation, it turns out that self-perception is not that accurate. And so it's one of those things where you need to get some feedback from other people. So I would encourage your listeners to seek that out in some way and find people who are good at giving you feedback, which, unfortunately, can be hard to find. Our guest today has been Dr. Tony Bach, oncologist at the University of Washington and the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for today's medical professional. There's another great segment coming up. Please stay tuned.